Welcome to the Midlife Pilot Podcast. What is it like to become a pilot in midlife? The challenges are unique, but so are the rewards. Hosts Ben, Brian, and Ted talk learning to fly, growing as pilots, and the joy of flying to destinations. The purpose of the podcast is not to teach, but to share knowledge and experiences. Be sure to join us via Patreon, get access to exclusive content, and impress teenagers with the fact you will even know what Discord is. I may be just an AI voiceover robot, but trust me, there is no autopilot on this podcast and wings are definitely not level. Okay, checklists are complete. Let's get the show started. Hello and welcome to episode 61 of the Midlife Pilot Podcast, where we talk all things flying and aviation to midlife. My name is Ben. I'm a commercially rated pilot here in the Atlanta area, flying a Cessna 182 that I affectionately call the Beast. As always, tonight I have with me Brian, a private pilot that is also tailwheel endorsed, living in Nashville, home of the Bachelorette Super Charlie, flying a Cherokee 180 named Lucy. Hey, Brian. How's it going, Ben? I'm super cool. excited about this topic tonight, by the way. Um, so I'm glad you guys are here. I'm glad everybody else is here. Yeah, I'm excited as well. Also joining us from the West Coast, Portlandia, we have our sport pilot extraordinaire, Ted who's flying a flight design, Charlie Tango Lima Sierra, also known as the CTLS Egg. Welcome, Ted. How's it going? Hey, doing well. Thanks. Awesome. Uh, we broadcast live on YouTube Tuesday nights, 8 p.m. Most of the time, that's 8 p.m. Eastern. You can find us at youtube.com slash at Midlife Pilot Podcast. Live chat is open. We've got a lively crowd tonight. It's great to see some faces in there, uh, familiar faces and new faces. For this uh, episode tonight, we're going to be, oh, forgot to mention, the audio podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget, you can email us at our, your feedback, your comments, suggestions, whatever you'd like. Email us at midlifepilotpodcast.com at gmail.com. I too am excited about the uh, episode tonight. I thought along and hard about it um, because I've got a little bit more hours than uh, you two. And um, I don't know how long this is going to last, but I do. And I've had to kind of go back further in the memory to figure out how I was able to build up my confidence. But that's what we're talking about today. Five ways to build confidence as a newer pilot. So, uh, um, Brian. Yeah. Yeah. What's up, man? <laughs> I love that. I love that you're like, I mean, I, I just had to go to the darkest recesses of my memory to see if I could even pick up the most faint memory of what it was like to not be confident. Is that what you were saying? Is that what, saying? what I was saying is I have a hard enough time remembering what I had for breakfast this morning. So it takes a significant amount of effort to remember what I did four or five years ago. That's all I'm saying. I understand. Well, we got some housekeeping. I know you want to get us through. So. Absolutely. Um, we've launched our um, Midlife Pilot Podcast Patreon. You can join us. We have three different levels. Four. Four. Sorry. Four levels. Yeah. Landomatic, dollar a month. We have Hershey Bar named after the uh, wonderful Piper Wing uh, at $5. We have the Beast Stole Kit at $9 and caps available at $22 a month. 
each membership level has its own set of benefits that build up on each other. So uh, the response we've gotten so far has been truly overwhelming. We're very grateful to all those. Uh, Ted, I think you uh, have the list of new Patreon members since the last episode. I do. Yeah. I, I wonder if people get why Caps Available is 22. Uh, it had to be explained to me. So maybe I'm the only slow one. <laughs> yeah. Well, you got it eventually. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, the uh, Caps Available is $22 because of the Cirrus SR22. And so, yeah. There you go. I don't think the others have have the the numeric fun, but that one, it was kind of a, it needed to be there. So. Yeah. And, you know, by the way, you know, I hate to... It means a lot that people have raised their hands in support. It takes a lot of energy and effort for our meager brains to come up with something substantive and helpful to folks, um, especially when we're not instructors, right? We're just kind of, uh, you know, your pilot friends or we're kind of hanging out and, uh, you know, saying what our experiences are. It means a lot for people to raise your hand in support of what we're doing and it was a carefully thought about decision to launch a Patreon and we were really intent on making it a, a valuable thing. And I think that um, one of the things that kind of reminded me of, this is maybe a little bit of a tangent, but you know, they say whenever you're doing something that you love um, and you're putting it out there, like say you have a YouTube channel or, or whatever it is you're doing, try to find a thousand people if you can just get a thousand people that are with you and support you and that you can kind of um, have a symbiotic relationship with in that way, then that is ultimate success. And people tend to reach way beyond that. I would rather have a much more substantive, stronger, well-intended, um, just a constructive, happy, positive place with a small, we understand that we're sort of you know, shrinking our orbit in that way. We always want the live chat to be out there for everybody, but we understand that, you know, there's a lot of people with Patreons and there's a lot of things you can do. I have my own Patreon for my things and I um, am always so grateful for that because as a, as a freelancer, it's like, this is kind of part of what I'm doing as a, as a kind of a, a job. It doesn't mean that I make anything, but it's just, it's not about getting ahead. We're just trying to cover what we're doing and uh, paying for all the tools that we use in the background. And when Ben needs a new mic before he loses his mind, we can actually get him a mic. Uh, so it just means a lot. Sorry if that's a, a bit of a tangent, but it's, I just felt like that was something that needed to be said. We're not, we're not here just to try to fundraise. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's really where I'm coming from. Yeah, I, I totally agree. It's, I, I think the goal, it, we're not going to, you know, get rich off this. The goal is just to, to cover our finances and, uh, and, and it helps uh, yeah. cover expenses. Um, so I just wanted to read through some of the uh, some of our newcomers um, at the caps available level. Uh, Mike Alpha Golf, Mike Alpha Golf upgraded from uh, from a lower tier, and really appreciate that. Alpha Lima joined us at the uh, Beast Stole level. We uh, uh, got Louis uh, Louis R who joined us. At the Hershey Bar level, we gained Drew A, Robert G, uh, Peter T, uh, we, we know Peter, uh, Nate W, we know Nate, Tyler uh, S, Dennis K, Drew P, Paul B, 
Greg H. Uh, down at Landomatic, we have Hakan and Julia Echo Foxtrot, uh, Jeff. So want to say thanks to to those people. We uh, yeah. we shout you out because we care because it's uh, it it means a lot to us and uh, we we want to have a relationship with you. That's that's kind of the goal here is is keep this at a at a personal level and and so, we mean yeah. that in the non creepiest way possible. <laughs> can, so can it be um, creepy? let's move. Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Ted. What if it is a little creepy? Sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we got I a mean, great topic you are from Portland, so I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, we we want to move on to our topic, and um, it's five ways to build confidence as a new newer pilot. And I'm going to ask Brian if you'll give us maybe a, a level set of of how we're defining confidence. I think we need to start there on a base level and then go from there. Yeah, and I actually have some notes here on that too because, so let me just back up a little bit. This topic was directly sourced from folks in the in the Discord community because when you ask newer pilots, especially, I'm, I'm a newer pilot, Ted's a newer pilot, Ben is a newish pilot. Uh, but no, it's it's, there's usually a, a handful of things you just hear very consistently about what are your greatest challenges. If you ask somebody what their challenges are, it's always, or it's often around the idea of uh, what we've been talking about a lot, which is expanding your personal minimums and those things. And I think that there's a real tie in and, and sort of a corollary to confidence. And I think that first, if we're going to talk about ways that we, based on our experience, um, have built confidence as newer pilots, we should just maybe establish, yeah, as a baseline, what, what is confidence? Because it's not hubris. It's not um, ego. It's not hyperconfidence or overconfidence. Um, and I will just quote what our resident um, CFII, Nate Ballard, said which I thought was really poignant. He said, um, I'd say self-confidence is amazing. We probably all need a little bit more confidence in ourselves overall. Confidence with a healthy side helping of humility is always a good combination in aviation. He goes on to say, some of the scariest pilots I have flown with were the ones that thought they knew it all and wouldn't listen to another perspective. And, you know, for a flight instructor who's had nothing but people trying to send him into the ground uh, to have it be that the most unnerving people that he's flown with be the people that really feel like they know it all. Uh, I, I just took uh, a lot of notice by that. So thanks for that input, Nate. And I think that for me, the confidence comes from or the confidence is just a, a sure footedness through your, your flows and your routines. And I'll say that, you know, Ben, one of the things that when I was 300 hours ago or whatever it was, you know, when I was still in my first hundred hours and I flew with you, I immediately knew that that was a bar or uh, a level of experience that I just observed. It wasn't anything particular about all oh, his knowledge of all these things. It was just, observing your flow and your comfort level in the plane, the way that you controlled the plane, the way that you did everything with, um, again, this is a little bit of a tangent, but there's this whole idea of do easy where 
it's all about your uh, efficient movement and grace and doing everything with care and methodical sequencing. And so a lot of that was exemplified to me early on, Ben, by you in terms of just how you interacted with the plane. The rest of that, by being calm and being so sure-footed in the way that you interacted with the plane, it not only exuded confidence, but it bred confidence in passengers or other pilots. And it says to me that this person has the situation under control. Um, if you were sitting there saying, oh man, this is nothing, man. I, you know, <laughs> I, I do this all the time. Don't worry about this. And man, you know, I don't know what the embodiment of the opposite would be, but th that's the kind of confidence I don't want to be around. I, I like, a, I think a quiet confidence. And it's probably the first time in 56 years anybody accused me of being graceful, but I do appreciate what you're saying. And honestly, that's bred from my witnessing my flying mentors, watching them operate the airplane, their airplanes. And it just, it was, it's kind of like raising your kids. You're, they're going to adopt things that you do, whether you intentionally try to teach them that or not. And I think it just, you know, th there's a lot of different ways to approach it. Ted, did you have uh, some um, some audio that we wanted to play? I believe you do. Yeah, yeah. I um, that was a good from from Brian uh, defining it. Um, one of the things that that uh, for me about finding peers was I can find people at the airport, but I can't necessarily find people that are in my age range and in my kind of type of of flying career. If we want to call it that. And so having a community is, is really important. Having people that have the same, the same goals. If your goal at a hundred hours is to time build the 200 hours, you have a certain way of approaching that. If you're a hundred hours and your goal is to have fun for another hundred hours, you are approaching that a lot differently. And that tends to be what our, what our crowd does more. Um, so anyway, having, having that community and having people that are close and, and can give you feedback is is what's important to me. Mike Alpha Golfs is a is a doctor, of, a friend of ours, and uh, so here's his uh, feedback. A quick story about the topic of the week. I'm a doctor at one of those big academic medical centers. My patients are pretty sick and are all admitted to the hospital. I've got one of those sprawling teams you see on TV: med students, interns, residents. Last month, I told one of my residents that despite being clearly smarter than me. They were on track to be one of the most dangerous doctors in the hospital. They were always motivated by doing what they thought was right for the patient, but they wielded their intelligence like a weapon. I said if they persisted in disenfranchising everyone, they wouldn't have any colleagues. And a doctor without a colleague is dangerous. There's no one to bounce ideas off of, no one to call you out, no one to say, hey, have you run into this before? But you got to be vulnerable to accept that someone else might have a better idea. Fast forward to this week and uh, unrelated conversation. My non-flying husband and I were chatting and I said, really, the only pilots I know beyond my CFIs are part of this podcast. It occurred to me that my doctor advice applies to the pilot me. I signed up to be a CAFS member. It was right for me. I'm sure the guys appreciate support at any level, but that's not the point. The point is your practice is only as good as the community you build around you. Listen to Mike Patey talk about this in his latest video on aviation safety. Your CFI is there to instruct, and your pilot community is not a substitute for that. But community is just as important. 
In this community, I've had a weeks long discussion just about personal minimums. I've shared my and listened to others' mistakes and growing pains. This community adds to my confidence as a pilot and my safety. So cheers and happy Mardi Gras. Yeah, I, I really appreciate that. And the idea, you know, it's something that, uh, Brian, you kind of uh, reminded me of, uh, which was telling your passengers to, uh, your, especially if you have pilot passengers, to point things out and that you're not the smartest person in the in the cockpit. And uh, getting that feedback is is really important. And yeah. um, I've... I've done that with flight plans and um, situations of taking people from this community and saying, hey, what do you think about this? What if I had done this? And, uh, you know, it's it's having having friends, having people you know that will give you the honest feedback, not the people that only say, well, it sounds like you're doing okay. It You need that honest feedback. Yeah, and before we come to you, Ben, I, I just wanted to say, I don't, it's not lost on me either that what a great comment, by the way, what a great bit of feedback for us to get. Both of them have to do with, these are things to not play around with. We're, we're not, you know, working with flower arrangements, you know, we're, the lives are on the line. And so, uh, I mean, granted, I guess you could have, I don't know, a particular floral situation that would be particularly, um, scary that I'm not aware of, but generally speaking, Lives are on the line. So, so Ben, Ben, what say you? So, I mean, I've talked about it before. Um, to gain that confidence, and Captain Todd has mentioned this in the chat a little bit, you know, you've got to get yourself in a little bit more uncomfortable situation. We have to stretch our boundaries. We have to take steps, whether they're baby steps or giant steps, and doing different things to build onto that foundation. Um. Stretching your boundaries, go get a, go make yourself uncomfortable, go get a checkout in a different airplane than your normal to fly, go get a new rating, go get a new endorsement. There, there's a lot of different ways to approach that. There's one thing that I discovered that uh, I has, is actually as somebody that's at 995 hours, that's, I felt made a pretty big impact in my confidence level, even though it was pretty high is doing, I recorded my first journal entry critiquing my own flight. And my whole point was to be completely honest. Um, I had some interesting, uh, I did a uh, night currency flight with Stuart, uh, my brother-in-law, who I shared the plane with. And um, it, it was some interesting conversations about our climb rates at night. I don't have to go into it now unless you want to, but I, I was able to record that on this book. And then when I go back and I read it a second time and even a third time, I actually added a few entries. It reminded me of a few other things that I could have done better, some things that I did really well. And and I think that is a, is a, is a great way to maintain your confidence. Maybe is a good way to say that. So, you know, it's, it's, um, it's going to be different for different folks. Um, somebody that's got 55 hours that just passed their certificate Gaining that confidence is going to do a nice long cross-country uh, cross solo by yourself and accomplishing the mission. So, you know, it, it's going to it's going to vary by uh, person to person. 
Well, so you, you already mentioned the, my, my number one thing that I would reflect to others. That's been definitely the thing that gave me the most confidence, uh, early on. I say early on, I mean, I've got whatever, you know, 400 and some odd hours, you know, I'm early on still, I'm still in the top of Mount stupid, but, um, but there's really something about that first hundred hours, 150 hours where it's, it is a trip, you know? And, um, so speaking of that was the thing is go somewhere far away that is going to take you more than one day to get there. Not, I'm not saying fly eight hours a day, you know, I'm just saying fly somewhere for a couple few hours, uh, up to maybe five or six hours, maybe in a day, once you kind of build up to that and stay overnight somewhere and then go to maybe another place. So for me, it was, um, incredibly valuable. Number one, to remember why I did this in the first place, because airplanes take you places. You should go somewhere. Don't get too comfortable in doing your, your local routines planes are meant to travel. So start traveling with it, find somewhere to go for some reason. It doesn't have to be, uh, anything. Definitely don't book anything. Don't book any hotels. Don't, (laughs) don't put any other means of, uh, pressure around the situation. But for me, when I flew 600 nautical miles in a day and got somewhere completely different, and here I am now on the coast of North Carolina, in a completely, you know, and I flew over mountains to get there. And I, I definitely made a flight plan and actually paid a CFI to go over the flight plan with me because I was concerned about the mountains and I was concerned about a lot of things. I wanted to have as much confidence as possible to do that trip, but there's only so much you can do before you just ha- kind of have to just do it and start encountering it. And so for me, it was definitely um, the most confidence building, eye opening thing that I, uh, did early on, which was just to set sights to somewhere far away and go there because I'll, you know, we've talked about this a lot. You don't get trained on how to deal with FBOs or where to park or getting marshaled or what is the etiquette around tipping or like whatever, just all of those little details. You, um, you get exposed to a lot of those interstitial not necessarily immediately flying related things. And so I would say number one thing that I would recommend to build confidence is go on a a multi-day, at least an overnight trip somewhere and back, because then you're, you know, (laughs) once you're in a hotel somewhere and you're looking at weather and you're trying to figure out what you can do and what you can't do and all that, like that's when it all starts to come together and you start to realize, oh, I'm actually getting a weather briefing from flight service. And I'm actually, you know, that's just when all those disparate pieces start to kind of come together. So that's, that's my recommendation. I would say the, the important aspect and the reason I brought up the the journal, you're absolutely right. Those long cross countries or just cross countries in general, going place to place, but also be aware uh, that if you make it back home uh, alive and it's a mission accomplished, don't get too far ahead of yourself you know, right. you need to recognize mistakes that you make and be honest with yourself because that's the only way you're going to get better. So I 100% agree. It was every um, new airport that I visited ramped my comp- uh, conference confidence level up a little bit more each time. 
And, uh, but I also, you know, you need to make note of the times you screw up and, and, and learn from it. Yeah. I think that there's, uh, it's going to new airports. is always that, that reminder of how well have I done my research? How, how prepared was I to go here and, uh, landing and it's like, okay, well, where am I going to park? Oh, I didn't even think about that you're so used to just going and flying the pattern and going to another airport and doing touch and goes. And so actually going and stopping is such a big deal. And what I have, I, I mean, I just, I just did a flight this last weekend where it was, it was like, okay, I'm not going to reserve a place, but I'm going to have plenty of places to stay. If I can't make it to this town, where else am I going to go? Uh, I have bailouts and I have turnarounds and, and everything like that. And that's when you, you realize you do all that, that planning that, that you learned as a, as a student where just going from one airport to the next is, is pretty easy, but man, doing that, that overnight or that, that extended trip, that's when you really, really learn. So, um, I want to talk about my, my other item in our list of five, um, talked about having a community of, of people that you fly with or that you can talk with. But the other part is is flying with other instructors and pilots. I had a chance to do that early on and I learned a lot. One of the things I really learned was the was the the subtle things where you're at a new school and the CFI says, "Oh, you're really good at this." Or you, you realize they're like, "Oh, whether they say it or not, you realize, "Okay, well, I'm really not doing well on crosswind landings. They help me out with that." Or uh whatever whatever those, those things are. And that really gave me a lot of confidence when I was going, I was getting checked out on, on planes in different places and you get the, the CFI who was surprised by how much you knew. And that was, that was fantastic. I just, that, that really made me realize, okay, I actually do know something at this point. I, th- I love that. I think people have varied experiences in their training. I had a very rarefied experience that maybe wasn't as great in the sense that I had one instructor all the way through. Um, and you know, any instructor and any person will generally say, mix it up, fly with different people in your training. But I think that this is another specific. So, it, so what you're saying was particularly valuable to me for sure. Uh, after I, cause I had never flown with another instructor. So that was hugely eye opening. But I think that the other part of it is the, there's a different feeling. Um, they are more a companion in your rightful ownership of your own training at that stage after check ride. Maybe you, you've been out on your own for 20 or 30 hours. It's a really confidence building thing to take ownership over that post check ride time, do what you think is the best things have some moments of uncertainty and some wins and all the things in between and then bring in a CFI as sort of a um, kind of a, a check, you know, and you can employ them for any number of things that you certainly did not do in your private pilot training, right? Like you probably weren't training, you know, uh, impossible turns or I don't know, whatever the thing is that you can always have something greater within the private pilot realm that you're, you're employing them to do. But I really think there's something special about that. What you're talking about, Ted, with the whole, um, uh, Hey, you actually do this pretty well. You know, uh, for me, it was, um, 
the one thing I would always get from any instructor I flew with after is they would say that they were always really happy to see how much or how well I used trim. And, uh, I tried to tell them I, I fly with it exclusively. No, um, no, but, uh, no, but, uh, as a secondary control, I definitely have leveraged, uh, my, my, my trim skills, but at the same time, they would call me out on other things. And, you know, they would say things like, um, you know, I, when we debrief and they say, when you are just fully eyes outside and not even thinking about anything in the plane at all, like you are spot on. It's just, you know, it's a different level than just a, a teacher or an instructor saying, Hey, you know, eyes outside when they're giving you more specific things to do, uh, later on. So those things really breed confidence because you're going to have your idea of what it is that you've been doing well and maybe what you haven't been doing well. And then you can kind of compare and contrast that with a uh, sanctioned uh, instructor. Uh, so that's a, that's a really good thing. And uh, so anyway, yeah, I, I love that. And, and, you know, other pilots are always going to show you things that maybe you like and some things you don't like. Yeah. Um, I, I thought of an analogy uh, with yours and Ted's comments. Um, Professional golfers, when they reach the PGA, do you think they never see an instructor ever again? The answer is no. They see an instructor. They keep coaches every week, and they're constantly being watched. They're constantly being trained. And I think there's the same analogy. We need to continue to have somebody check us. Um, airline pilots are going through recurrent training every six months. I mean, it's it's not like it's – um you learn it and you're done. Number four of our top five ways to uh, build confidence is doing advanced or recurrent type training. Lost on thrust on takeoff, emergency drills. Um, Brian, you I think you had a couple others that you were going to mention. Well, you know, it's not a it's not an episode of the Midlife Pilot Podcast unless I bring up anything to do with tailwheel and uh, <laughs> That's right. geek. I wanted to give you that one. Uh, thank you. So you served me that, that softball. Um, but you know, like we've had some recent landings, uh, video shared in the discord, some pretty gusty, um, wild landings that, that some of the folks in there have, you know, done in some pretty adverse conditions. And they always say, you know, it, th those that have had tailwheel experience say that that's really what got them through those kind of conditions with some confidence. I, 100% say that, you know, for me personally, it, it raised my confidence exponentially because everybody can remember what it felt like when you were learning how to land, how you feel. There's, there's always like the last few seconds of a landing kind of, you kind of feel like a passenger a little bit and you're trying to figure out how to, um, smooth that out or own those, those last few seconds of a landing. Cause that's when all the the little micro uh, adjustments build up really quickly about whether this is going to go well or not. Uh, I mean, of course have a solid approach and all that, but I'm saying there's just something about that last few seconds, man, you know, once you go through tailwheel, that's where you really feel like you are attenuated to those, those final moments uh, and alignment of a landing. So, so I would say that for sure. And I wanted to, yeah, um, emergency drills. There's a lot, I guess I just want to draw a distinction between, it's really easy to say, if you want more confidence, well, just go get your instrument rating, go get a commercial, you, you know, go get your multi. Like, that's great. Of course, all those things are going to build your confidence. But 
in the real world where a lot of us midlife pilot uh, pilots are are sort of maybe on a slower grind, um, really trying to wrench the most that we can out of a private pilot certificate and a license to learn. I, I think that even within that, there's plenty of things that you can bring an instructor in for um, to help you polish up or to introduce you to new things within the rating that you have. So as much as it's nice to go get a tailwheel endorsement or whatever else, I, I don't want it to sound like it's all about getting that next rating. I think that that's almost a, 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 a not a good thing sometimes. I think that sometimes people go a little a little fast. But um, but that's, you know, here near here, neither here nor there. But the last thing I want to mention is in our Discord, we've talked about um, crosswind confidence and building those minimums and all that. And I just want to say that, you know, we talked about this, what was a few, couple of few weeks ago, but go, go find the crosswinds on a consistent wind day when it's not gusty and challenge yourself within a reasonable spectrum of your minimums. And, you know, that will breed a lot of confidence to get really comfortable uh, with, with crosswind landings. So uh, yeah, get out there and, and learn stuff and challenge yourself. I, I want you to ask or answer Biff's question, but before you do, um, I think the biggest uh, level jump, so level up that I did was uh, probably three or four ses- sessions of doing crosswind landings. Fortunately, here in Georgia, springtime can provide some nice consistent winds. And I'm fortunate that I have five airports around me that's in just about every runway configuration that I need. So no matter what, one of them is going to have a crosswind. And, you know, it was just banging them out in the pattern and, you know, repetition is the mother of all learning. And when I took my wife somewhere and there was a pretty good crosswind and I greased it, I mean, that, that, that felt really good. That did so much for my confidence level. It was through all that practice. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, this comment, how soon is too soon to add tailwheel? Do you think, is there a, is there a too soon? I suppose is the question, right? I, I don't think so. I mean, I'll, I'll be totally honest with everything in life. When you look back, you go, Oh, I could have, should have, would have, would have done it different. You know, I 100% wish that I would have gotten my entire, I wish I would have done all of my private training in a tailwheel. I wish I would have done that from the very beginning. Um, so I would say there's never, there's not a too soon. Um, and you know, nobody's said to me, I've never heard anybody say, you know, ah, it's overrated tailwheel, you know, pretty much it's universal that it's, it's going to help you. Um, so I would say, uh, there's no better time than, the present, uh, definitely get after it. Yeah. Um, I'll give the counterpoint to that though, which is, man, get your ticket, give yourself a break. Yeah. You know? yeah. I mean, yeah, it may be five hours it may be 50 hours. There's, there's not that huge of a rush. You're, yeah. You're, you're okay. And yeah, I mean, there are definitely people that, that, uh, uh, train a tailwheel, right? Like that's, that's a thing even now it used to be, and it is now, but that doesn't mean you have to either. It, it, you can, you can focus on, on getting your ticket. You can focus on getting a little bit of experience and, and then do it, or you can do it immediately. Whatever. It's all good. Did we do five things yet? I think we did. I got my two. Um, I'll just review my list here. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Is five so, too many things for us to keep track of? <laughs> yes. Apparently. Yes. So to recap, number one, we kind of defined what confidence is. Um, confidence with a healthy side of a healthy helping of humility. Have a community. Number three, stretch your boundaries. Um, be critical of yourself, but be honest with yourself. Number four, advanced recurrent training, loss of thrust on takeoff, emergency drills, pattern work uh, for crosswinds. And number five, fly with other instructors or pilots. Uh, that's a, that's a kind of an overview of, of our top five of ways to build confidence. Can I throw one thing in there that we didn't mention? Yeah. That I think is huge. I think we have time for it. This is our podcast, right? We can do what we want. Yes, we can. Fantastic. Fly in busy airspace. That is a huge confidence builder when you just survive, you know, all of the, if you're not used to that, you know, uh, to get, get vectored around and, and, you know, be on the radio with, with, uh, all the airlines and everything. It's, it's just a huge confidence boost. Um, if you are a person that flies at primarily a non-towered airport, go find Deltas and Charlies and start landing at those places. You don't have to go hit a Bravo, just, just get into busier airspace and do whatever you can to, to cultivate comfort on the radio and just that feeling of I'm still ahead of the airplane while you're dealing with all that. That is a huge thing. So also, and I've, I've seen this a couple of different times. If you fly, if you've been training out of a busy airport, go to an untowered airport. I've heard yeah. guys say that they're very nervous of going into, it's specifically a busy non-towered airport. Um, that also will uh, strengthen your confidence uh, on the on the radio as, as well as pattern entries and things like that. Yeah, the uh, uh, there's such a difference on a quiet, untowered, uncontrolled, a busy, uncontrolled, towered, all those are so different. I was... Uh, I trained at a busy, uncontrolled, and I didn't do a ton of work in, in a Delta until I got my ticket. And I wasn't super comfortable with it. I'd get flight following, you know, half the time. Now it's like flight following every time uh, that I'm leaving the area. I'm so comfortable with it. I'm comfortable talking to my tower, all that. I, I just love flying out of a Delta. It's, yeah. it's just, Yeah. It, yeah, it took me a long time to get to that, but it's like, man, talking on flight following now is just, I just love it. Yeah. So the other thing, I I feel like I had the, I've mentioned this on here before. I think I had some of the strangest training experience in the sense that I was up until two weeks before my check ride at a, an insanely busy untowered airport. Um, that then all of a sudden a tower opened and it became uh, a, a delta. So um, to it was a huge benefit to be in familiar surroundings in terms of the terrain and the runways and the taxiways and just everything's the same. But now you're talking to somebody at the same time, it was very hard for not just me, but everybody. So uh, it was, it was quite entertaining to hear people coming into this, the, the airspace and making a CTAF call, you know, to John tune traffic and then a tower, you know, answering them. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was good. So when I was doing my check ride, um, the DBE was going to come out to my uncontrolled field. And the day before she said, can you come out to the, to the Delta? And so my first sign off to fly into a Delta was to do that. 
and uh, sitting on the ground, I'd never, I'd never parked at a Delta. Obviously, I I trained and everything else, but I never parked and shut down the plane and needed to do a run up with no run up areas at the airport. And so, thankfully, my DPE helped me through quite a bit of that. But so, I've got to say that's that's kind of the the similar thing of like, oh, surprise, you have a tower to you know, surprise, your check ride is going to be done at a towered field. Surprise, uh, yeah. Yeah, I really like Eric Grizzly's comment. Don't let your mistakes completely derail you. You will make mistakes in the moment. Note them, then move on and finish your flight. Reflect it on the ground. Um, I couldn't agree with that more. You, you have to put it behind you and uh, aviate, navigate, communicate, and um, and then try to figure out what you could have done better. Uh, when you get back to the house or when you get back to your car, or whatever it's, that may be. It's kind of like having a terrible uh like first date with somebody or something where you just say a bunch of dumb things and then you you're sitting there laying in bed after the day just being like oh like what I, why what was i thinking why she doesn't why, nobody cares about dinosaurs like what am i talking about <laughs> she doesn't care the difference between a 52 and a 53 chevy truck like <laughs> well uh erica said something earlier that that we wanted to go back to oh yeah and uh, she said she didn't feel comfortable in planes until 400 to 500 hours. Until then, it felt like I was always forgetting something or going to do something wrong. Hard to be confident if you aren't comfortable. Yeah, that was my experience with get, being comfortable on the radio was it. I, I was still so wrapped up in the plane for the first 100, 150 hours. And and it's just getting that that level of of processing your brain to the point that you can handle that. Well, it may seem like a lot to somebody that maybe has a hundred hours just to have somebody say, well, it took me about 400 to 500 yeah. hours. But, um, I think that that is a really, really fair assessment. And I think that that's, you know, that's probably about how I feel. Um, there's stages of that. Um, but I think that that's totally fair to say, and nothing's universal, but, but there is something about, you don't know what you don't know. And, you know, there's a lot of people with 150 hours that are a little too cozy. Uh, has JJ, for those that are in the Atlanta area, especially the Northwestern part of the city, my friend AJ here has started a group called the grand order of perpetual lift <laughs> where it's, um, there's five, four or five of us that get together. We're pretty, you know, we're within a probably 10 mile radius of each other and we're at different stages. Um, some of us just got our tickets, our a license. Some of them are airline pilots and it's kind of, um, it's, it's all over the place, but it's really good to be able to sit and have a beer with somebody face to face and, you know, talk things out. Um, you know, I have questions about, my next step in the, in my adventure. And there's some guys that are ahead of me that, you know, are going to have some great, um, great feedback. So, uh, AJ, thanks for that, bringing that up. And I think we're on in, uh, next week or so for the next meeting of the perpetual lift club. Um, Brian, I believe you have some, um, or we got a couple more feedbacks we want to get to here. Uh, so I've got, a. we're going to go to the, I guess what we're calling the midlife mailbox here. And uh, it's going to, this one's a little long, uh, but I think it's fantastic. And 
Uh, we are definitely behind on this and looking to incorporate more of these. So thanks for sending these in to midlifepilotpodcast at gmail.com. And I'll just get into this one if you guys are all right with that. Um, do you guys have like, you know, warm blankets and a cozy fire and all that? You good to go? No, this is a good one. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that was... Uh, Ted, do you need to work on your Ed McMahon skills? <laughs> I, I just poured myself another glass of bourbon, so I am really ready to go. All right. All right, here we go. From Adam R., thanks for sending this in. He says, hi, guys. I really enjoy the show, and I really like the new format. Nothing against the OG midlife pilot Chris Moran, but the way you guys just sit around riffing on aviation resonates with me. Thank you. Anyway, I think Brian's statement that at our age, it's been a long time since we've had to do anything that we're not already very good at is a very profound observation. We know that we're not immortal and we have a very high and we have very high expectations and standards for ourselves. That said, I'm going to relate a story about a recent flight I had where I really scared myself. I'm in the panhandle of Florida and I passed my check ride on Halloween. 2022 at 52 years old. What this means is that I did all my training in the Florida summer and fall, fairly calm conditions. All of a sudden, just as we're getting into the breezy part of the year, I'm turned loose to go fly wherever I want. It still feels illegal. I know that feeling. So between rental plane availability, the time change and subsequent loss of daylight before the end of the workday and very low personal limitations on crosswind components, I flew very sporadically through the remainder of the fall and the winter. In the summer, I got my tailwheel endorsement in a Piper J3 Cub and exclusively flew that into the fall, not very often due to rental availability. Anyway, I decided to go do a short flight with a CFI to reacquaint myself with the 172 and did fine. He notes also here that the tailwheel time really improved my skills in the 172. A week later, on a 95-degree day, I checked out a 172 for a solo flight and did the usual circle around my house, but there was quite a bit of thermal activity and the flight was pretty bumpy. I decided that between the heat of the day and getting bounced around, I would just take it back to the airport. I keyed up on the notoriously unreliable automated weather, and it was consistent with the winds I had taken off in. Thinking that I was being cautious, I overflew the airport in the upwind. It's an uncontrolled airport to Romeo 4. Uh, so I overflew the airport in the upwind to check the windsock. Confirmation bias reared its ugly head as I looked down and saw it parallel with the runway and indicating a fairly stiff wind. I glossed right over the fact that it was 180 degrees from what I was expecting and interpreted it, interpreted it incorrectly. On my first approach for 3.6, I was not losing altitude or airspeed and started second-guessing myself, a self-inflicted helmet fire. So I went around. The second time I got it down reasonably well, realizing I was going to land longer than usual, but not a problem with the length of the runway. Even taxing back to the ramp, I was going back over my flap settings, power settings, everything I'd done, and I couldn't figure out what I'd done wrong. It wasn't until I was almost back to the ramp that another plane radioed that they were entering the pattern for 1-8 and it dawned on me that I had landed with about a 10-knot tailwind. 
I fessed up to my mentor and he just laughed and said, I've done that. I got out of the plane and dropped to one knee shaking. You're going to scare yourself every now and again. Uh, I don't doubt that you'll ever make, or I doubt you'll ever make that mistake again. That's how a pilot becomes an aviator. I share this because maybe somebody can learn from it. And I'd love to hear stories from other pilots about instances like this, where they took a scoop out of the luck bucket and added some more to the experience bucket. Keep up the great work on the podcast. So, um, yeah, that is awesome. We've all been there. We've all done that. Um, Ben probably has a lot of things he's not telling us. I don't know, but uh, I'll tell you one right now. I've told you this before, uh, and I'm, I'm pretty upfront with my mistakes, but, um, <laughs> I, um, I landed on a wrong one way at a towered airport. Oh yeah. Down in, um, New Smyrna beach, a triangle, uh, three surfaces, six runways in a triangle configuration. And excuse me. Uh, I was given a Cessna to follow, and there was a Cessna over the numbers, but there was also one on a different runway that was on short final, and that's what they intended. And when I looked down, looked out to my left, because I was in a left pattern, I didn't see the one that was on short final, but I saw the one that was over the numbers, so I just assumed that was the runway I was going to be fine. I bugged my HSI to the correct runway, and uh, I get on the ground and tower comes on and goes, uh, nine one one, you landed on the wrong runway. <laughs> I looked at my HSI and I'm like, you know, he's right. Uh, I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, I was very apologetic. And he's like, happens here all the time. Don't worry about it. Just, you know, pay attention. I have one. I have one real quick. Um, by the way, and Ted, I know you want to speak to this, but I can't help but Nathan Ballard's comment here of I can fill up 10 shows of midlife pilot podcast episodes with the dumb things I've done in aviation. <laughs> so I don't consider that a comment. I consider that an offer and a promise. <laughs> so um, we'll get to that. But the thing that I did that was really goofy um, in the last year is, well, I'll just, I'll, I'll kind of tell it backwards a little bit. I didn't realize that ForeFlight will tell you if you're about to land on the wrong runway at the wrong airport <laughs> i'm laughing with you not at you it will tell you uh how do i know this i was um i was flying to lawton oklahoma from arkansas or something and i was trying to work my way down to texas working around some storms so i was flying to lawton oklahoma and that airport is right next to a military base airport. And the runways are perfectly aligned, sort of one before the other, exactly the same orientation. And, you know, I've been flying a lot of hours and maybe I wasn't as sharp as I should have been. Uh, but, and I wasn't familiar with it. And out there, at least for me, I'm not a flatlander type person in that sense. You know what I mean? Like when you get out there, everything just kind of starts to look I don't know. It starts to look the same. And, um, but still, I mean, I'm not saying it's not my fault, but I came in and, um, I was on, it was a Delta that I was going into that was the second runway. <laughs> and I was coming in on final, uh, 
right there at the Air Force Base. And um, I got down to maybe three or 400 feet and realized that I was basically about to do a low approach, which I did right over the space and then kind of picked it up a little bit. And uh, it was just a short little, another couple of miles to the next one, you know. When but, you looked um, out your side window and saw a bunch of M16s pointed in your direction. Yeah, I just thought, wow, this is going to be the most, um, I was telling somebody this the other day and I said that it was going to be the fastest FBO service that I'd ever seen. <laughs> um, but, uh, but you know, Forflight said something while also at the same time I'm realizing, while also the controller at the airport where I'm going goes, hey, well, you wouldn't happen to be, and I was like, yeah, I, I just thought this is it. I made it this far. Here's where I get my number to call. Here's where I, you know, this is where it happens for me. I made it this far. Be happy that you made it this far. Well, the controller goes on to tell me he's laughing and he's just like, it happens every day. It happens all the time. Do not worry. Because I was mortified and I think he could tell that I was uh, kind of beating myself up a little bit. So he, he had a good laugh with me several times about it, but you know, it, in retrospect, looking at it, it should have been a very easily avoidable thing. Um, it was just a lapse and just a, a little bit of an awareness thing. So um, I have put some things in place to make sure that can't happen again. And that's how that works. That's uh, something that, that happened to me a couple of times and I felt so dumb about, which was uh, lining up to the wrong side of an airport or calling yourself, saying you're at the wrong side of the airport calling the number for the wrong direction, those types of things. Why, why is it that I made it this far in life with pretty good navigational skills and I can't tell if I'm on zero two or two zero when I'm announcing it? <laughs> why when they say, come in on left downwind two five, am I on the wrong side of the runway? It, and I, there, was, there was one approach that I did to, to my home airport I called it. I called it in the wrong place. I realized I was in the wrong place after that. Nobody was around, thankfully. It was about a month later that someone I know, I heard them in the same position doing this, the same thing. <laughs> and I, I said to him, like, hey, yeah, I did that too. Like, it's okay. Like, we're all, we're all okay. Ben? I, I have one more. And people have done this. It's not that unusual, especially living or flying from under a Bravo. A very busy Bravo. Um, this was the timing of this one is what really hit me hard. But do you guys remember the uh, Vegas Bravo Buster? Yeah. Everybody does. And his attitude on the radio. Well, you know, I was in a discussion forum with somebody. I'm like, how could somebody be so obtuse? And how could the blah, blah, blah. I fly down to uh, my sister-in-law's house in Griffin and I'm taking my eldest son was in college at the time and they're under the shelf, but there's a corner of the shelf that goes down to 4,000 feet. And my son's telling me just yapping away and I'm trying to get in touch with Atlanta approach. And uh, finally I tell my son to be quiet and I hear them call my tell number and uh, they've been trying to get a hold of me. And they go, uh, yeah, you're in the Bravo. You need to exit immediately. And this was like three days after that whole incident. I'm thinking, how could somebody be so obtuse? And yet here I am being completely obtuse. Exhibit and flying A. The Atlanta Bravo. Let's, uh, let's hit on one more thing. And uh, then we'll, we'll wrap things up. But I think, Ted, you've got something you want to mention uh, about a roundtable 
Yeah. I think it's a great way to, to end the, the discussion about competence. Yeah. You know, we, we kind of glossed over it, but, uh, in Mike Alpha Golf's comment, he was talking about Mike Patey at a round table and I wanted to emphasize that and we'll put a link in the, in the show notes, but it was on Brian of experimental aviation's channel and it is himself, Josh of aviation 101, um, Blanco Lirio and Mike Patey doing a safety round table. And it's basically a hour and a half zoom. And those are all such amazing people. Um, but, uh, Patey talks about a couple of things and one is about friends and about, um, being in a group of friends that, uh, celebrate not, uh, following somebody else in on a landing on a tough landing. It's okay to, to do that. And they go on and they, they talk about, um, the, the need to, to celebrate doing safe things. And, uh, he actually kind of goes off on a, a rant about, uh, the serious parachute and how, uh, in, in aviation, we need to stop being so macho to pretend that we're better pilots than would ever need a parachute. And, uh, he actually talked about being in, I think he said he was in Vegas when he, he, uh, had an emergency in a Cirrus recently. Uh, so I'll, I'll make sure to mention that or drop that into the show notes, but, um, it's been a fantastic discussion about safety and, it, it really tied into all of this with the whole friends who support you in aviation concept. So I want to bring that up. Um, and Ben, wanna yeah. talk about the fly-in we want to remind everybody about the Nashville fly-in April 26th through the 28th. Uh, we're going to have a base of operations very close to John Toon airport. That is Juliet whiskey, November. Um, the, uh, midlife pilot compound is sold out of rooms. However, it is, we're planning on it to be the center of the universe for the socialization aspect of it. Um, we've got different itineraries or different spots for you to go check out. Um, and we can get into more of that when we get closer to the event. Um, we're also going to, uh, be updating our, uh, website, not yet. We're going to wait till we get a little closer to it, but we, we want to try to get a head count. Um, to find out, you know, how many people are coming um, in total. So keep your eyes and ears. We'll be uh, sending out an announcement on that. Yeah. And if you have any questions, just email us midlifepilotpodcast at gmail.com. It will be a rain or shine or, you know, around here, a tornado. I don't know, whatever. It could be anything. Um, we're do, we're doing, we're going to do this thing, whether the flying is no good or not, because it's not about the flying as much as it is the, the hang and the people. So, and, I, I did note on my calendar that March 3rd is usually when the gradient winds come in there and flip planes That's over right. and yeah, destroy March, towers. March yeah, we specifically planned the fly-in at least a month, almost yeah. two months away from that date. So that's kind of the, uh, the date that we have to be careful of in Nashville specifically. Smart. Well, um, I guess we're, we're pretty well wrapped up here. Um, we are. Have anything else? Um, Ben, uh, why don't you take us home? Yeah, join us at Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash midlifepilotpodcast. Check out our merch store, store.midlifepilotpodcast.com. Next week, we got, uh, we're going to be talking about in episode 62, three ways to combat complacency. 
Uh, I have a specific interest in that because I did hit a plateau for a little while. And uh, we really appreciate everybody joining us on the live chat uh, from the YouTube stream. And um, we'll sign off episode 61 of the Midlife Pilot Podcast. Good night, everybody.